Welcome to the Hoof and Fang podcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Hoof and Fang is celebrating Leap Day with an epic once in a four year cycle sale. On February 29th, 2024, every audiobook in our online store will be on sale for $2.99. And every day leading up to February 29th, we are sharing a preview of our audiobooks right here in the Hoof and Fang podcast feed. Today, we're sharing a selection from our October pick. Gigi DeGram's suspenseful and pulse-pounding Prisoner. Chapter 1 No man is so methodical as a complete idler, and none so scrupulous in measuring out his time as he whose time is worth nothing. Washington Irving Prisoner 793 lay on his cot in his cell, staring up at the rough joint that drew a harsh line across the concrete ceiling. His eyes traced the stone seam, and by now he knew every bump and divot of the rugged line. Immeasurable minutes of his life had been spent with his eyes affixed on the thing while contemplating his time. Because of all he did not possess, other than a bundle of letters, this was something he had plenty of. Time there was measured in years still left to serve. Twelve down and thirty-eight to go. Thirty-eight years to look forward to staring at that same ragged seam across the ceiling they hadn't even taken the time to trowel smooth when they built this godforsaken prison. His bed, this meager cot with its navy blue ticking, was a place he both hated and would defend to the death because it was his... Prisoner 793 had spent the better part of the last two years on this cot, and he would not let some new Chester come in and try to take it. Hell, he wouldn't let anyone take anything from him. And neither would his cellmate, who he internally called Big Bastard. It was a place that 793 had earned, his thin bed on the top of the double bunk. Big Bastard had kept his bottom bunk with just a look, and he might have grunted once the first day a new unwelcome prisoner was added to their cell. The new guy didn't even consider it tangling with the bigger man, so he'd looked above to 793's cot, to him, the lesser of the two evils in the room. Now the new guy slept on the floor temporarily on a flat mat that kept him from freezing solid in the night. The surface was always cold, even cool to the touch on nights in mid-August. They kept it cold in prison to keep men tamed. During summer days, the floor just sweat, making everything smell worse than it already did. But this new man was there for something the warden liked to call overcrowding, and for the last three months, 793 had fought the same man. Clearly the problem wasn't going away. Not until the warding got the additional funding he'd been lobbying for to add yet another wing in this constant effort to house more men. These floor mats had a crinkling silver film that rustled every time one of the transfers shifted in their sleep or even took a breath. It had put Big Bastard in a foul mood for three straight months, and more than once he'd huffed, gotten up, and kicked the shit out of the new prisoner who couldn't be still or breathed in or out too loud. Big Bastard hated the guy. 
He either liked or simply tolerated 793, who hadn't slept on a mat, not once. From the first day 793 had arrived at this medium security prison, he'd handled business and secured his cot with his fists. It was like anywhere. When you transferred into a new place, you started over. But before, at his first prison, a maximum security federal penitentiary called Supermax deep in the south of Louisiana, 793 had fought and lost many times. With every loss, he'd slept on something less than desirable. It was there at Supermax that 793 began working out in his cell. When he'd earned privileges, he started lifting weights in the yard until he could fight with a properly placed fist, a fast elbow, and a debilitating knee. These were the skills required to win and keep the cot for himself. It had taken a few pretty good ass whippings for him to figure out just how to fight, because fighting in prison was its own kind of animal. This new inmate, Dean Harold, had narrower eyes than most, hardened thin slits that seemed to always tell on him. Harold had serious issues with authority and had killed his father during a domestic dispute. His father, who had worked high up in the government, had friends who hadn't taken any mercy on his murderous son. Dean Harold was a lifer with nothing left to lose. Harold was a muscular guy on the tall side, but he fought with his anger rather than any real skill. He was bigger than 793, but less than Big Bastard. Harold was never satisfied with anything and constantly complained. He was entitled and mouthy, irritating even to the guards. Dean Harold was just a prick. Big Bastard had already beat him with a shoe until Harold understood he had to keep his trap shut. The beating had been insulting and demeaning, and Harold simmered over it like a scorned woman as the shoe-shaped bruise darkened down his cheekbone. Big Bastard was currently in the hole for it, as Harold had snitched, and the cell was quieter afterwards. Harold continuously gave 793 the stink eye and made crude comments. This happened so often... 793 would just get his eyes closed and pop them back open as Harold spouted off more of his hate. Harold was pissed that 793 hadn't tried to stop the beating. Useless mute, Harold had barked up at him. Harold was going to die in here. He was only a year older than 793, just 28, and would never be a free man again. He wasn't lucky, but he hadn't gotten the death penalty the big bitch, so that was something. Still, 793 didn't care for him. But Harold was here now, this last stop in life. He worked in janitorial services, and word was he might be moved out of their cell by the end of the week. Friday couldn't come soon enough. Funny that he never attempted to sleep on Big Bastard's cot while he was gone. He begrudgingly slept on the mat most likely thinking 793 would rat. He wouldn't have had to. Big Bastard would have known. He'd been there for far too long for anyone to pull one over on him. Number 793 hoped Harold would be gone by the time Big Bastard got back from the hole, and they could both get back to their somewhat normal peace and quiet. It was what happened that next morning that started everything in motion, like the proverbial shoe that kicked the bucket over. 
Truth be told, 793's plan had started some time before, like the first turning of the small crank that set the gears moving in the old childhood game he and his twin sister played. His mind worked like that, even now, as the plan he had been devising continued to evolve. The lever would move, causing that old green boot to kick the little yellow bucket over, sending the ball bearing on its twisted path, causing this and that to happen along the way. The chain reaction game was designed by one Mr. Harold Kramer, who, ironically, was a child-hating toy maker. The memory of that old game, which 793 had spent an hour putting together for them to play, was his early childhood foundation for problem-solving and logical, methodical thinking. So, his current irony-driven version of Mousetrap was something he'd almost worked out and planned to assemble in just a few more months. He wanted to do it after winter was over, right around the first signs of spring because that seemed like a wiser time of the year. It was just only the second week of October now, so he figured by April or May he could have the final kinks sorted out and feel solid about the last few things he needed to study closely and work through. As his life had proven so far, if it weren't for bad luck, he'd have none at all. Dean Harold had been working on the same custodial team with 793 since he'd arrived. That morning, they both worked on the kitchen cleaning assignment before breakfast. Prisoner 793 was caught off guard while cleaning the bathroom, with the water running as he filled his mop bucket. Knocked over the back of the head from behind, he found himself pinned down on the floor with a shank to his throat. The bigger man yanked down 793's pants, working them to his knees. The shank broke the skin against 793's neck with stinging pain. Blood seeped into the grout lines on the floor from his head wound, and everything was muddled. Gonna pay now, pretty boy. Look what happens when your big daddy goes to the hole and leaves you unprotected. This prisoner who hated Big Bastard, Dean Harold, gritted out from behind him. In retrospect, 793 should have seen it coming. When Harold laid his massive, hairy weight over him, pressing him further into the porcelain tile, 793 struggled and screamed against the first harsh, searching prod against him. That first stabbing, unsuccessful attempt at him instantly cleared the fog, and the oh-hell-no fight response kicked in. Number 793 sank his teeth into the wrist of the man trying to rape him. Harold dropped the shank, only to grab it with his left hand as he screamed from the deep bite. The shank sank into 793's upper back and was yanked down harshly with a blade slicing through his shirt and skin like butter. He screamed again at the unbelievable pain. It had been better than the alternative. Prisoner 793 ripped the shank out of himself and stabbed the bigger man in the gut with it. Harold yowled again while holding his wrist. It had been the moment of hesitation that 793 needed there on the bathroom floor, and it got Harold off him. Prisoner 793 scrambled back to the wall, flinging the shank over by the toilets as two guards came bursting through the bathroom door. He put both hands, shaking, on top of his head, and sat perfectly still while blood seeped over his forehead and dripped onto his bare thigh. It ran down the wall from his slashed open back. Schiller had Harold on the floor and got him restrained as Jensen, the second guard, approached 793. What happened, Tarkett? Jensen said, 
as he looked down at him and then around at the mess on the floor. Tarkit, 793, lifted his left hand and pointed to the toilets. Jensen glanced and saw the shank. Then Jensen looked at Harold, who was yelling and trying to pull away from Schiller. Two additional guards came in, and as they dragged Harold out, Jensen called for medical to respond to their location. Prisoner 793 pointed to his head, then his throat, back to the shank, and motioned to his pants bunched around his ankles. Jensen nodded. I got it. And that gut wound. He pointed to himself, the shank again, and then made a fist before putting his hand back on his head. Jensen seemed to understand what had gone down. Medical's coming. Just sit tight. You can fix your pants. Do I need to do a rape report? Tarkett shook his head and pulled his pants up, as Jensen told him he would come to the medical unit later, and they would have to complete a written statement over the incident. What a mess, Schiller muttered as he came back in, shut off the water, and got the story from Jensen. Schiller looked at him. You all right, Tarkid? He nodded, sliding his hands down from his head. They thumped onto the floor at his sides. He felt drowsy and muddled again, and just as two of the medical guys came through the bathroom door, he passed out. In all, 793 had spent a long four days in the medical unit. Eighteen stitches on his back, nine to close the cut on his head that had bled like Niagara, and five on the lower front right side of his neck, and they'd put him back together. He looked like the creature from the Frankenstein film and felt like the literary one. He had a raging headache and a mild concussion to top it off. Jensen escorted him back to his cell and told him Harold had been patched up and was now in the hole. They'd charged him with the incident and had already moved him out of their cell. Jensen unlocked and opened his door, and 793 walked in. He climbed up onto his bunk slowly, aching all over, and had just enough strength to pull the blanket down but not back up over himself. He slid his hand under the pillow, pulled out his tightly bound bundle of old letters, and held them to his chest. Facing the wall, 793 closed his eyes. They burned, and he squeezed them tighter, fighting it off, this reality, as it finally sank in that he was going to die in here before he ever got a chance to step out into freedom. Anger, frustration, fear, and honest-to-goodness terror consumed him, but he just felt cheated more than anything. Cheated out of his own life. As 793 lay there, wiping his cheek by lifting his shoulder, he stared up at the ceiling again and came to the realization he really only had two choices left. Chapter 2 Let the Punishment Match the Offense Cicero when he got out of the hole, Big Bastard already knew what had happened. Word traveled fast amongst the men who were seen as leaders. Prisoner 793 knew Big Bastard believed in looking out for one's cellmate. It was a strange sense of brotherhood. Some loyalty most likely carried over from his motorcycle club days. Big Bastard, Curtis, looked him over, inspected all his stitches, the swelling, 
and scowled deeper than usual. Slowly, 793 shook his head no, answering whether Dean Harold had actually got him or not, and Big Bastard nodded. Good, he grumbled. Toughen up, boy. He reached up and roughly yanked the blanket up over 793 as he shook from the cold. Nothing else was said over it, other than Curtis occasionally checking the goose egg on 793's head over the next few days as the swelling began to slowly go down. When his attacker came out of his stint in medical and then the hole, Big Bastard sent 793 to the library to find a book he claimed he wanted. Big Bastard never read a damn thing, except for the names on the bottom of each month's calendar girl. His mama sent him one of those each year without fail. Veronica, he had hummed when he flipped her photo up and covered up September's Bambi. That one, she'd been wearing a fireman's hat and holding a hose. By the time 793 returned with the book, Big Bastard was back in the hole again, and Harold was being transported to medical, this time on a gurney. There was talk that they were transporting him to the ER after the beatdown, a still sore 793 laid Big Bastard's book, North American Birds, on his bed and understood what Curtis had done for him, because the man was clearly no bird watcher. Alone in a cell again, 793's head still throbbed, so he lay back down. His eyes lingered on Big Bastard's wall calendar. October's gal, Veronica, wore a little nurse hat and not much else. His lip quirked a little at that, before scanning each square of the month and contemplating everything 793 knew so far. Then, as if a finger pressed down the fast-forward button on his mental cassette player, the ribbon on the reels wound forward and the tape began to play. Unwinding a plan with each revolution of the post turning the take-up wheel and a checklist played from the supply wheel, he hummed an old favorite tune as his fingers tapped on his chest, and he played a strategic game behind closed lids. He tried to think back from the beginning for any part or piece he could use in this speedier construction. Prison did odd things to some people. Solitary confinement and extensive stints in the hole had scarred him psychologically. Something had broken within him in the darkness, clawing at the walls like an animal, screaming, with no sense of time, life, or hope. He had all but forgotten his first name. He had become 793. His first name was Prisoner now. Sometimes they called him Target, or just 793. He hadn't noticed when the change had occurred, when he'd become a part of the mass, when he'd turned into just another number. A number stenciled on the back of his jumpsuit and stamped on his intake file, this number in full, T-99-00793, target 793rd inmate entered into the database for the year of conviction 1999, identified him as a criminal, a violent felon in his permanent record. In juvie, they used softer terms like detainee or resident. Big boy jail graduated you to harder terms like inmate, prisoner, and convict. It was difficult losing your identity, your individualism, when you never really had a chance to know who you were to begin with. He had been this number since he was a young and damaged teenage boy. 
It was the summer before he started ninth grade, when he was arrested and charged with killing the man who had assaulted his sister. He'd do it again if he was forced to live that afternoon over. He was not repentant. He did not regret his actions. Prisoner 793 had saved her, and he'd pay for it in flat time until he was 65. It was unfortunate that the location of his crime had occurred on the grounds of a state park, operated by the National Park Service, a federal agency. This landed him a flat-time sentence, federally charged with no chance of parole. He would have to serve the entire sentence, every single year in full. Had the crime occurred just a few hundred feet from where it had, off federally protected land, 793 would have the same parole eligibility as non-federally prosecuted inmates. To put it simply, he was fucked. These recent events, the attack, his bad luck, and a continuously delayed appeal, created an impending feeling of doom that was all-consuming. For the first time, he truly felt panicky, trapped, and it crawled across him to the point his skin itched with it. He tried to calm himself by thinking of his sister. He still remembered her face, but he couldn't recall her voice. They were both twelve years older now, twenty-seven, and he hadn't seen her once since the trial, but always hoped she would show up for visitation. Other than his attorney or one of the lawyer's assistants visiting over his appeal status, his name was never called for a visitor or phone call, because he had no one. Even after all these years, he still wondered where she was now. He had accepted long ago that he would never see her again. He would like to see her just one more time before he died, to at least know one of them was okay and had some kind of decent life out there in the real world. He wondered about the real world, the elusive out there, this great mystery of what lay beyond the gates, what life might be like out from under the crosshairs of the scope and beyond the miles of chain link. He only had his childhood version of the world, and twelve years later, his memories flickered. There were flashes of more minimal things and full-blown replays of the more significant events in his young life. He had not spent one single day in real life as an adult. His understanding of it all now was not the reality, and while he accepted this, he did not know it, this truth for himself. It was a nagging, timeless question in this place, this incomprehensibility of the outside world that could barely be seen through the skinny, up-too-high windows. They're just like a cock tease, Big Bastard had laughed out as he watched as 793 clung to the bottom edge of the window casing by his fingertips, struggling to pull himself up to see out, to see through that wire-infused glass if just for a second or two, as his fingertips screamed, his forearms burned, and his toes could find no purchase against painted concrete. He heard a muffled but persistent sound outside the prison walls, a desperate howling crying out into the night, and he'd wanted to see what it was. Told you, Big Bastard had mocked. He shook his head and leaned back, watching, amused, as 793 tried again. Inside of prison was his truth. It was all he knew. And inside had defined him, 
not only shaped his personality and influenced his emotional impressions, but also molded his values. It continuously and annoyingly tapped him, reminding him of what he did not know. His world was within this confinement. But stick any wild animal in a cage, and it will eventually kill itself trying to get out. The planning, always in the pacing. Trap one, and it will chew off its own leg for a chance at freedom. It had taken 793 the last two years of working diligently and keeping his head down as he toiled to accomplish his plan. He had earned the guards' trust, and with that came their complacency. They just didn't get paid enough to worry over prisoners who weren't troublemakers. His more youthful rebellions had transitioned into cunning. The guards had their hands full with gang members, dragging prisoners off to the hole and half-assed trying to keep the Chesters alive. No one liked a Chester, and as soon as they were processed in, the whispers and bets began. The clock started ticking down the second they were dressed out, and when they took their first step into the general population, a great hand turned over the hourglass and waited as the thin, grainy stream of their waning time fell. And they knew it was coming, because no one liked a child molester. Even in a place as deplorable as prison, the men still had some standards, if only just the one. These rules surpassed honor among thieves, the law, and even the good old book. This was a universal law, and God's word was being done right there on the concrete floor. Believers and non-believers congregated to worship, leaving and not seeing a thing. That lot had it the worst of all. Race faded, differences were forgotten, and even the guards were hard-pressed to break it up, thinking of their own children when a Chester was getting pounded, by one means of pounding or the other. Today, court had been in session. As he mopped the blood, urine, and other evidence from the floor, 793 thought of the trial and what his sister had endured. This death chamber was now empty, where prison justice had been duly doled out. No matter how they begged and cried, no matter how sorry they were, prisoner 793 waited outside of the cell with his supplies while everyone raised their right hand. The guards motioned for him to begin as they rolled away what remained to write up their report. He wrung out his mop, the soapy water was now pink from the long streak, and he slapped the heavy cotton strings to the courtroom floor again, swiping back and forth. The nearly silent sentence was the same for each one of that ilk. Unlike the loud rioting, there was an accepted, expected quiet as cameras conveniently malfunctioned. A calm came over the block as everyone leaned in and listened. There was only one collective objection. The foreman stood outside with his back to the bars. Next to him, the bailiff held his Bible and his all-rise. A hushed prosecutor delivered his closing argument with a fist and boot heel. Stepping back at his satisfying conclusion, the defense took over with a far more demoralizing delivery. The judge had a go, using his gavel. Each and every jury member handed down the verdict, one by one. God help them if the victim was little. Prisoner 793 had no sympathy, and would mop up the next one just as efficiently. And while their exits were gruesome, 793 knew his own outlook was grim. The odds stacked higher than the cinder block surrounding him. 
In the beginning, when he and Big Bastard had walked by an adjacent cell, seeing the blue face hugged tightly by the twisted white sheet and piss trailing across the floor, 793 knew that would not be his end. This was the second choice he'd considered more than once, but decided he wasn't going out like that. Just another body bag on the gurney squeaking past the bars. One more number deleted from the system with a keystroke by some fat fuck Twinkie eater in a cubicle somewhere. At the same time, he also knew he could not do 38 more years. He'd known this before, that itchy feeling. But now, after Dean Harold, no, not now. This had brought him to his definite decision on the first choice. This option was why 793 had requested the janitorial assignment, a job no one ever wanted, a position that came with the most mobility and the best opportunity to learn the facility. The grounds, routines, schedules, and prison policies. Most importantly, it allowed him to suss out the weaknesses and loopholes. The always silent 793 now knew every crack and crevice, every door, window, and guard's personality and habits. He had conducted dedicated research each and every single day after his transfer to this facility. For the last two years, he cleaned shit, puke, blood, trash, and everything else they flung onto the floor and walls in this prison. The lights went off for the night, and even that was systematic in this never-ending routine. He tried to look at his hands in the dark, but could barely see them. He bent his fingers and felt the stiffness of hard work, trying to pinpoint when his soft, boyish hands had turned into the taut, sandpaper feeling of them now. They felt like old, gray-weathered wood, and nearly looked that way, too. The skin was dry and cracked, damaged from the chemicals he was approved to use in his constant cleaning. He stretched them open and closed slowly, expecting to hear them creak. As he worked them out, 793 made his choice to move up his timeline. So much for spring. With his decision firmly made, 793 cleared his mind and inhaled calmly. He held his breath as he counted. When he reached the limit he could maintain, he let out slow, controlled, exhaled puffs of air through his nose to help decrease the panic. Try as he might, he couldn't imagine it, what it was going to be like in there. Still, he knew it would not be pleasant. So he pursed his lips and inhaled slowly through them until his lungs were full, and he practiced again while trying to picture it. It wasn't easy to concentrate and tune out the screaming, grunting, and endless noises of the night, to mentally block out the sound of the grown man crying at the other end of their corridor, Worse than that one was the half-crazy, withdrawal-stricken meth head who spent his nights whooping like a siamang monkey. His nightly primate call echoed, with his wails building louder and louder until he finally hit his crescendo, pissing off three floors of the cell block. Gonna rip off his head and piss down his neck, Big Bastard grumbled from below. Tuning it all out instead, 793 imagined his new surroundings. His heart beat faster, and his legs became restless. He inhaled slowly and squeezed his eyes closed as hard as he could. Tiny starbursts sparked in the darkness behind his eyelids. He filled his lungs until they stretched his white prison undershirt tight. 
Thanks so much for listening to this special preview of Prisoner by Gigi DeGram. This audiobook and others will be available through our online store for only $2.99 on February 29th. If you're listening to this after the sale, you can join our Patreon for only $5 and receive a 40% discount on all previously produced audiobooks. Or you can join at the $10 level, still get that discount on past audiobooks, and you will receive our future productions as a perk of membership. Visit hoofandfangpodcast.com to link to our online store and Patreon. You can also find those links in our show notes. And please join us every Friday as Maz and I talk about more incredible queer speculative fiction and the authors and creatives who bring them to life. Subscribe to Hoof and Fang wherever podcasts are available.